host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. And uh, this week there have been some very interesting things that occurred. I think uh, most of them are people know already. Uh, we're going to go a little bit deeper into the topics, but uh, probably you've heard about these things. One is uh, that the recent, uh, recent uh, takeover or buyout or whatever you call it or some kind of an agreement between Manischewitz and Keiko. Keiko is the, is the, the uh, food products that are uh, distributed by Kedem, uh, that's the Keiko company, and, uh, Ked and Kedem has actually bought Manischewitz. Now, that doesn't sound like anything very exciting. Uh, because uh, many of us are not into Manischewitz. We really aren't. We were much more interest, interested in the other products that are coming out. Uh, you know, Geffen is a line that, uh, that Ketam owns, and um, we're probably much more interested in Geffen than we are in Manischewitz. So what is the big deal for us? And is it a big deal? Uh, first of all, it's a statement. It means that the people who keep kosher today in America who are Jewish, almost all of them are Orthodox. There was a time many years ago when all Jews, even if they weren't as religious as we like them to be, kept kosher. We talked about this many times on the show, and no question that... Uh, People used to uh, use kosher meat, and it was, uh, there were thousands of butchers in New York City. Not, I'm not exaggerating. I've seen numbers of 3,000. I've seen numbers of 5,000. But there were thousands of butchers in New York City selling kosher meat. That's all they did. They all sold kosher meat. And it means to say that there were a tremendous amount of people. But you have to remember in those days, everybody ate meat every day. That's, that's the way it was many years ago. Everybody ate meat every day. It wasn't a religion. It was in practice that way. And so it was very simple for them to make a living. There were no frozen meats, and there were many, 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 many Jews, and they wanted to all keep kosher. Even if they were conservative, even if they were reformed, they might have kept kosher. But certainly the conservatives kept kosher, at least in the house. And so therefore, the amount of kosher was huge. Then, you know, when we got started getting hashkafas, and some of the Jews became a little less religious, so the numbers switched a little bit. But we were lucky, because the Goyim liked the idea of a kosher, and they thought it was a better quality, whatever. And so therefore... They supported our system of kosher so that today, where out of the six million Jews living in the United States, five and a half million Jews living in the United States, many of them are not Jewish because they didn't marry through an orthodox manner. They, they married somebody who converted from a, from a, a from non-orthodox uh, conversion. There are a lot of those, and there are a lot of people who marry out. So the number of people who are Jewish doesn't mean that we have a solid mass other than the Orthodox. Today, out of that, uh, six million or five and a half million, maybe there's a million Orthodox Jews. Maybe. That's it. But people are buying kosher, and they're buying more kosher in America than they're buying halal, even though the, the Muslims are much bigger in number, and a lot more of them eat halal. It's just a, a phenomenon that kosher took off. I think it also became part of the culture, you know, the old Jewish jokes and the other things, and, and we, we Jews have been around for such a long time, and we've talked about kosher, and we must have kosher, and somehow we made it into society, and kosher is big. So when we were young, years ago, Manischewitz was a huge company, and it was being it was being used by everybody. In fact, when I grew up, when I grew up, all the supermarkets in America used to have what they call a kosher section. In the kosher section, you find 
Manashevitz matzah, and you would find mother's gefilte fish. And I can't even remember what else there was there, except for Pesach, they had a few more items. It was a small little part of, a little corner of the supermarket. And that was the kosher section. Maybe they put grape juice in there, maybe there was wine in there. I don't know what they did. Whatever it was, it was very, very, very limited because that was considered kosher. Mother's gefilte fish, Manashevitz wine, Manashevitz uh, wine, and, uh, you know, Manashevitz uh, 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 matzah. This was that's basically what we had. So you, you know, uh, there just wasn't all that much available for, for the American Jew. But everybody supported that. They, that's why it was all over America, because all the Jews were buying it, and then the Goyim decided to buy it. But that, that, that group is gone. That group is gone. There's nothing left. Menachem Lubinsky said like this. Menachem Lubinsky is the uh, person who owned the kosher fest for many years, over 20 years, and he sold it to a company. But he is uh, Lubakam, and he promotes that, that, that kosher fest every year. And here's what he said that when, the, when we're talking about the merger between uh, Manischewitz and, uh, it's not a merger, whatever it is, it, the Keiko, meaning Kedem, owns Manischewitz now. So he, he, Mr. Lubinsky gave the proposed merger to the decline of Manischewitz as the old customer Manischewitz has gone on. In other words, there's no one left anymore from that old grouping used to buy Manischewitz because the people who are not religious don't look into kosher. Matzah's not a thing for them. The filter fish forget about it and they don't have the young poison. So it's, it's, uh, it's a shame that he, he lost them. And the, 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 the commitment from the people who are not orthodox is very, 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 very minimal. Very minimal. Their attendance in the synagogues is minimal, and their, their involvement in Jewish activities is very minimal. It's, uh, it's a, a terrible thing, and uh, the only thing that can rile them up is anti-Frum, you know, when it comes to this uh, situation, you know, in Israel with the women of the wall, and, uh, and that now, they, now they're attacking uh, the, the women in Israel who were part of that movement, are attacking the Haredim, like there's a separate, uh, separate concert, separate seating concert. And Mordechai ben David wouldn't do it any other way. There's some of the other people that wouldn't do it any other way without a separate seating. And these women don't want separate seating. They think it should not be allowed to have separate seating. So there's one concert, a whole summer of activity, one concert the whole summer for the for the Haredim that will be set separate seated. One. And they are trying to take away or they did take away that concept. I don't know if they, if they succeeded or not. And that's that's the kind of thing that motivates them. But Kashras is something they're not committed to anymore. Doesn't mean to say there aren't uh, the synagogues and the conservative synagogues that are keeping kosher and then maybe there's something on some extent, I don't know exactly how, how much, maybe even in the reform, as a synagogue, as a Jewish organization, there's still some commitment, but it's not in a practical way in their own lives. Okay, so that's what Rabbi, with Menachem Lubinsky, he is a rabbi, but as Menachem Lubinsky said, that the, that grouping is gone. So what does it really represent? It represents that Manashevitz's grouping is gone, and we, meaning the room people today, we are kosher. We are the ones, and the Kedem represents that to us, um, and, and, and their Keiko and their Geffen and all the room stuff that we have, and all the Hashkochas, the Hamish Hashkochas that are behind them, that's, that's what we have today, and the, the, the world of Manashevitz doesn't really exist in the same way anymore. 
That doesn't mean to say they're not selling product. They definitely are. And uh, the company has existed since, uh, uh, you know, for, for many, many, many years. But, but still in all, it's not the same way. And therefore, they gave way and, and let the, the uh, Kedem company buy them out. I'm not going to go into a lot about the background about these two companies, but I just, I just want you to understand that uh, this is significant in that one way. I mean, Shevitz is from, from 1888. It was founded in 1888. So we're talking about a very old company. And they had a lot of brands, the Rokayoff and the Mothers, the Filter Fish, and Mrs. Adler's and Carmel, or with Margaretten, and all of these were, you know, products that Manischewitz company was distributing. And it's not, it's not anything with Kaya, it's Borscht. You know, who was the Mothers of Filter Fish? This is not, this is not hot stuff anymore. So, uh, the, the, the the fact that we have it and now under Kedem, this, we don't know what that means. Will they brands continue? Obviously they will. Will it be a small thing in the wagon of, uh, of Kedem? Or will it be something they're going to promote? We don't know. But the problem is, and this is what everybody's talking about, which, because, because they don't know anything at all. They're talking about uh, a question of whether it's really the right thing for one company to maintain uh, such a uh, significant uh, presence where it may be not, not a monopoly, because there are other businesses that still, still sell the product. There are other wine companies, there are other, other matzah companies. But still in all, um, what, what will it mean for the kosher consumer? Will the prices stay, up, stay the same? Will they go down? Will they go up? We don't know. We don't know a thing. But one thing I do know, it's in good hands. And uh, the cashless will be 150%. And it'll be, uh, it'll, it, it, I think it will be good for all of us as time goes on. just want to point out something that people probably don't even know. Manischewitz's matzahs are not made in America anymore. They're Israeli matzahs. So things really get changed. I go on to my second topic today. This one is one that I spent a lot of time in. And really, I'm the only one who knows the real story. And even I don't know the whole story. <laughs> I don't even want to know the whole story. I'm trying to stay a little bit out of it. But I'm going to share it with you, whatever I have, which is going to go into my magazine. And, and really, nobody knows the whole thing. It's very, very interesting. I get a call from Rabbi Gornish's son. Uh, by Israel Gornish, who has a shul here in, in Flatbush on Avenue O in East 15th Street. Uh, congregation, Chizuk Hadas. He has hashgachas throughout Flatbush. And he has other hashgachas outside of uh, this area as well. But one hashgach he never had was 24-7 Bistro, located in Resorts World uh, Casino, it's called Resorts World Catskills in, uh, 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 up in Monticello, New York. So that's something that definitely was not his topic. And yet there, right near the food, was a sign that said his name, giving Hushkoff. The only thing is, it wasn't even a letter about this place. It was a letter about a different company, a store that was in Flatbush that no longer exists. And at one time, Rabbi Gornish gave them Ashkocha. Not even at the end when they closed down. He wasn't giving Ashkocha then. But he had one time given Ashkocha to them. And there was a letter that says that the name of the company here in Flatbush, and it, it, it and has the address, the whole thing, it was, uh, it, it, unbelievably, this, is, this letter somehow found its way to 24-7 Bistro in a casino in Monticello, New York. It's, it's 
strange as that story is, that's what happened. Now, I wouldn't, uh, I, I would have been sure that that wasn't his Ashtrafa. But other people saw his name, they saw the symbol, they used to that symbol, they saw his name, and uh, some of them probably ate, even though it wasn't a kosher facility. There were some products they were trying to promote as kosher, but he had nothing to do with it. And here is his sign on this, in a very prominent way, on this establishment, 24-7 bistro, the name alone should have given everything away, that it's open 24-7. 365. Shabbos, Yom Kippur, it's open selling food. Who in his right mind would think that Rabbi Gorner, Hasidish Yorov here in Flatbush, would be giving Hashkocha to a, uh, a bistro in a casino, Monticello? Uh, you know, not, not, uh, not to be believed, but some people fell for it. Now, was it an intentional thing? The company says it wasn't intentional. It seems that they were buying products from that particular establishment, which was for La Cuisine. And uh, they got a letter at one point, and somebody put it up, and this, and they forgot, and whatever. That's a whole long story. Now, after Rabbi Gornish left, so uh, he did, the store, I mean the company over there told me that they removed the letter. But we wanted to be sure that things would be taken care of. So I recommended to them, to the Rabbi Gornish, uh, the son, that they, uh, they, set, they get Rabbi Metzger from the state, the New York State Kosher Law Enforcement Director, and to go down and to explain everything to them about what their responsibilities are and their limitations reviewing the kosher and making sure that, that this doesn't ever occur again. And he did go down the next day, and they worked out whatever it was with them. And, um, and, and, and I called up, and I said to the uh, people that I, I spoke to, I spoke to uh, some people and left some messages, I said that I'd like to do a story, which I did, and I wanted to get their, their, their position. I want them to be able to respond which they did, and then they sent me a, you know, an email, and I was in communication with their uh, public relations personnel. And uh, we have the, a full story written about it for Conscious Magazine, which is what really happened. And the important thing to me is the fallout. All right, it wasn't, uh, it, was a, it was not an accept, it was an unauthorized, use of that letter, uh, intent I don't know anything about, how it got there. Read, people eat without really finding out what the conscious is all about. Year this was going on until we found out about it. The entire year, some Jew, I'm not going to say who went, went up to a casino in Monticello, but people you know and I know that, that, that people who are observant sometimes will uh, involve themselves in that way. So it's impossible that Jewish people, let's say uh, religious people, didn't pass through there somehow, maybe looking for a basakise, maybe buying a, a soda that's in the refrigerator, I don't know. But let's, it's impossible no one passed there. And it's impossible they didn't see this sign, because you couldn't miss it. And if they saw the sign, did they think that this was kosher? Did they think Rabbi Gornish gave Hashkocha to this place? Did they look at the sign? Did they read it? They couldn't have read it. It had the wrong name, the wrong date. It was expired by, by a year or more. And it had the wrong name on there. Nothing to do with this 24-7 disco. It mentions 
the name of the the, the name of the uh, the store in uh, Flatbush, and it, it's it expired because it, it was written in 2017. It was for one year, so before this was even hanging, it was already outdated. I, I mean, how how could anybody have let this exist? How could this have happened? And I say, I'm probably right. People don't read. They see a sign, and, they, and that's all. It's like they, you know how it is over there about the summer, we have it always, every summer, you know, the people uh, see uh, a, an ice cream store. Oh, they see it on the sign on the wall, it says that the ice cream is from OU, the ice cream is from you know, KBH, the ice cream is from this place, the ice cream is from here, from there. It says right there, it's on the wall, on the door, it has a letter from them, it, it says what it is. You know, I'm not going to mention, you know, no 7-Eleven and say that it has a list also of what's supposed to be there. But there's a sign, right? The sign says it. The sign says that the ice cream in closed containers uh, can be under this, you know, this ashkocha. If you'd see the name there in, in, in the closed container. But now when it's open, then you use the same spoon for this one and for that one. And there's toppings and there's cones. That doesn't say on the sign. The story isn't necessarily kosher. And here, whatever the sign meant to everybody, it doesn't mean that that 24-7 bispo was kosher. It doesn't mean that Rabbi Gornish gave us shofar. And it's obviously a responsibility of a, of a consumer to look at the sign, see what it says. Yeah, there's a symbol. Right, there's a symbol. But what's the sign? What, is, what, is, what are they trying to tell you with that thing? I remember there was a store here in Flatbush. It was a classic story for me. I, it had a big OU on it, on the whole store. I, I, I contacted the OU and I said, do you give us chocolate to the store? No. We give us chocolate to some of the products that they sell. We don't give us chocolate to the store. They carry other products. I said, well, there's a big OU on, this, on, the, on, the, the, on the glass in the outside. And it says something about the products in here, you know, you. I said, they said, what? They can't do that. I did, we didn't authorize that. Well, they did it. It took a little while, but I got them to come down. The OU came down, and they, took the, they, they changed the whole thing. So, yes, this goes on all the time. Yeah, you have to start by reading what's there. And then you have to think. And sometimes you have to ask questions. If I would see a store with a, ca a casino, a, a restaurant in a casino with this gambling, would I expect that some Yechash uh, Yid would give Hashgacha there? Absolutely not. And when you see the sign, it says everything wrong. There were five things wrong with it. I'm not going to go through them here. There are five things wrong with that sign. And, and yet it went on a whole year. And I, I shudder to think what people are. Let me tell you a story that happened today. Not, uh, not something you're going to read about in the papers. Not this one you can read about. But you, you, this, this little thing happened here. This is how bad we are. A young fellow called me up, and he said that he was in some doctor's office in the edge of Borough Park, the edge of Borough. And the, the workers there had some extra donuts from Dunkin' Donuts. And they offered it to him, and he ate it. And then he started to think, after he ate it, after he ate it, it's a, it's a, slim, uh, a slim doctor, but the workers are not slim. They bought this. Did it come from a kosher Dunkin' Donuts? It took him, I don't know how long, but it took him time to wake up and realize, hey, he eats Dunkin' Donuts from the kosher Dunkin' Donuts. This is a Shomer Shabbos from doctor's office, but the workers are goyim. They don't, when they go out to buy something, they don't have to buy kosher. And he's calling me up feeling terrible 
and maybe he ate trade. We had a discussion about it, and we, we did what we had to do. And, uh, but I'm just saying, people eat without thinking at all and what that sign represents. So, yes, I think we, it's extremely important that the whole, the whole lesson of this is that people have to start to, to take that responsibility. It is a place kosher. Who is Hashkafa? Look at that list. In Israel, there's no such thing. In Israel, there's no such thing as eating in a place with a le kosher letter of certification is expired. There's no such thing. Nobody will eat in a store with an expired certificate of, of, of conscience. The tuada has to be up to date. In America, it's not happening. I'm telling you as a fact that almost all the conscious agencies are not on top of getting that letter of certification renewed in time. They're not giving them the new letter in time. I don't know, maybe they're not getting paid right away, and that's why they hold back. I don't know. But I just know that it really is not being kept up in America. And you know why? Because the consumer does not demand it. If you walk in and you see the sign and it's expired, it should be a red flag. And you should pick up the phone and call the conscious agency and let them say, oh, well, I'll, get I'll be there next week with it. Okay, let him say that. But don't let it go because this could be happening where you are too. Listen to this story, which is about a week or two ago. But everybody heard the story, I'm sure, about the pretzel factory. I think I mentioned it here too. This is the pretzel factory up in the Palisades Mall that, uh, that was selling tray for hot dogs with a tuuda that, that had, I, I think it already expired also. And it had been removed. I mean, the hashkafa had been dropped. And yet this place was uh, selling things, including the tray for hot dogs. And the interesting part of it is that on the tuuda, it says specifically only these items are kosher certified by me. Only. And it didn't mention hot dogs. And people actually ate the tray for hot dogs seeing the letter and of the tuuda from this rabbi and not reading it at all and it, and this not maybe they ate the tray they the, yes it's been reported that the people said that they ate the tray for hot dogs. this one ate the dunkin donuts uh donuts doesn't know if they're from kosher this one ate the tray for hot dogs looking at an old tuuda and this guy went into the casino's restaurant and saw Rabbi Gornish's name and said, wow, this is really kosher. Crazy. This is a, a absolute insanity, and it's all our own fault. We, we, we're not demanding it. And, I, you know, I mean, I, look, I don't teach in yeshivas right now, and I, I hopefully all the rebellion in the yeshivas should start teaching the young boys and young girls to start looking for this. But where are the adults? Where's everybody? Everyone's out to lunch and not necessarily in a kosher place. It's, 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 it's crazy. So, you know, we're fighting about whether or not uh, Manashev is, uh, is uh, whether their crackers are as from as the, the geffen. Let's make sure things we're eating are kosher, and then we'll worry about how kosher. Uh, let me go on to something else. This is a story that uh, happened just a few days ago. I was uh, at a simcha Friday night, Shalom Zohar, and a uh, rabbi came in and started talking with me about kashras and, and brachos and stuff like this. We were talking about different issues. And he, he raised a question which I hadn't even been familiar with, which I really want to do a little more research on. But I want to share with you what I found just today, which is not, not a chiddish because it's it was sitting in my uh, it was sitting in my files. It seems that there's a new product, a lasagna, but I, maybe they make other kinds of uh, pasta like this, where you don't have to cook it. 
You just bake it. In other words, it's been cooked already. It's been cooked already, but it, you're going to bake it. Now, nobody eats it the way it is. Nobody would just open up that package and, and make a bracha, and eat the pasta. It just wouldn't go over well. Maybe it's just too dry. I don't know why, but as I understand, no one would eat it. But the shaila is, is a bishul aqua. So as I understand, the company is Ranzoni, at least this particular one. And all, this, all of the Ranzoni products had the OU there, except this one. And this one, the gentleman told me, the rabbi told me that he saw another hashkoch. He didn't know which one it was. He didn't remember. And he saw another hashkoch on it. Uh, from out of this country. Maybe Ranzoni is made out of Maybe it's made in France or someplace else. Italy, Italy, um, Italy. Uh, so, so wherever it's made, and uh, they do giving Ashkoch on it, but the OU wouldn't do it. And he investigated, whatever, and the OU refused to give it because they consider it to be Bishal Akram. Because at the point that it was made into edible uh, noodles and it had been cooked up and made into edible noodles it was uh, it would that was already complete the bisho it's just that afterwards they dry it somehow and then you go ahead and put it in a shell or use it as a shell or whatever you do where you put you put the pasta the, you know, the sauce on it or a cheese whatever you do and you make your lasagna the way you make it and and then that baking it, it finishes it off. But it's really rabbi that I spoke to came to the Shalom Zah. Of course, the OU does consider it a Shiloh. But uh, he felt that, in, that it, it isn't because uh, the uh, because it, 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 he didn't feel it was a, a shayla from Bishal Akum because nobody would eat it in that state. He said. So I raised the question that maybe they would have eaten it as soon as it was cooked, and it would have been edible. Maybe they drying it out makes it inedible at that point. But that doesn't, but can you go in, does that change the situation when you go ahead and you bake it off? Does that change the situation that you're somehow finishing it when really it was completely cooked before? Well, that's the question we, that's the discussion we had. So I didn't know that the OU had recently handled this and uh, they didn't discuss the lasagna, but it's, it's, it's the same exact Shiloh, I believe. Um, in the Dafa Kashvas, of July 2019, uh, Rabbi Gersten, Ellie Gersten, who was the recorder for the OU PSAC and her policy, went through this assembly. He went through this question that we're discussing now, which was very interesting. Because what's, what's most interesting is we're going to discuss the different opinions within the OU about it. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's very revealing about this whole topic. See, in Shulchan Aruch, in Yeridea, in Kuf Yud Gimel, Sif Tes, the halacha is that if a goy cooks a food and it becomes not completely cooked, but it becomes halfway cooked, that's called Meichel Ben Jusoy. Some say a third cook, some say a half cook, but it means even though it's not really 100% edible, even if the Jew finishes the cooking afterwards, the food is forbidden to eat because the goy did the cooking. If, it, if it's edible in the pin, meaning that you would eat it if you were in a rush, uh, you, if, you have, if you couldn't find something else, if you can't, you don't have time to wait until it finishes, you're going to grab it and gulp it down now. If you would eat it even in that fashion, then that's called bishul. That's called finished cooking. And therefore, even if you would do more cooking afterwards, it's too late. 
the food became trafe, and you're not allowed to eat it anymore. There's a, there are heterim that have semaruba and semishabbos. I'm not going to go into that. But and the, the minig of the Ashkenazim is to be very careful about this. Now, this is a separate halach. That was a question of cooking. What about bake? What about baking bread? So in the, that's. A in it. Even if the bread already formed a crust, it can still become pas Yisrael if the if you can if you would benefit from more cook from more baking, which we call mashuba, mashbia. In other words, there we're more lenient in the bread. Now, this time I don't want to confuse everybody. Because if you don't know about this halacha, I gotta explain this to you, otherwise it's just like wasting your time. The, 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 the halacha of bichel akram, it's not like something, uh, you know, uh, I'd like to do it, I should do it, I could do it. It's a halacha like any other din the rabban. It's like uh, Hanukkah and Purim and all these halachas, you know, and the Gwiza Megillah and all, and HaHalel and the Hills Yadayim, everything the rabban made up. This is the same quality. It's 100% a halacha. Bishul akum is forbidden to eat. There's no way out of it. It's a regular Easter. Now, pas is different because there is, it was created in a different way. And the difference between whether you're buying bread in the store, it's made commercially, or you're, buy, or you're getting a gift of a, your next-door neighbor of a of a cake or a, uh, or a bread that he baked. That's a different level if it's a, ne if it's a neighbor, uh, a regular non-Jew baking and giving you something. That's a real problem. When you're buying it in the bakery or in the, in the packaged breads, that's called pas palta. It's not, so it's not as strict. I'm not going to get into the details now, but it's not as strict as the law of special akum of cooking, of non-Jew cooking, which would render the food not kosher and the utensils not kosher. Anyway, when it comes to the baking of the bread, it seems that we are lenient and that we, that we say if, if the goy baked it, but the, a Jew was mashpia, he went and baked it further, it somehow saves from the question of the question is, what's called improving the bread? Does, does, does uh, improving the bread only go until it's fully baked? You know, the bread that you buy in the bakery, you come in the wrapping, the plastic wrapping, and then you find the supermarket, that bread is completely finished. It's, that's why they sell it. People will eat it right out of the bag. But there are people who will make toast. There are people who take a bagel and they'll toast it. And they'll put something on afterwards. So is that mashbiach? Is that improving it? Is that significantly changing it? Will that create a, a pas Yisrael? that will save the question, even though you bought it from a, a non-Jewish baker. So if I bought a Thomas's, whatever it is, or I bought the, some other bread from the OUOK, or whatever it is in the store, and I took that bread and I, and I now put it in the toaster, did I now mashbiach it and make it pas Yisrael? And that's a, an interesting question. So he says like this, this is Rabbi Gerstin, if there's a fully baked bagel that was made by a non-Jewish baker and a Jew goes ahead and he toasts the bagel and improves it, would it now be considered Pas Yisrael? Also, how does this relate to Bish Yisrael? Is it the same thing too? If a, a non-Jew cooked potatoes until they became fully cooked and a, and a Jew puts it into his cholent and it now becomes like a whole new experience, 
<laughs> and they and supposedly that's improving it and improves the the taste, etc. So did he somehow take something and and finish it off, or was it already finished because you could eat the potato before you put it in the chong? And therefore, why should there be a difference between the cooking and the baking? And that's that's the question that he raises over here. Now. There are a number of people who discusses discuss it, but I want to go on to, uh, well, it'll be this piece here. The Shevet Halevi concludes that since Shulchan Aruch uses the term mashpiach, improving with the bread, that shows that he paskins like the Ra'or and others that hold mitztamek b'yafelo is enough for becoming crunchy or chewy or, you know, even just changing that state, that's enough. And this could apply to Bish, and this may therefore be applied to Bishi Israel as well. Even if, a, and according to this uh, Shevet Halevi, which was a Vosner, Zatzal, he says, if a, if a goy completely completed the cooking, as long as the Israel causes it to be mitztamek v'yafelo, to improve by cooking it further, let's say, for example, putting in the cholent or whatever it is, for Spartan it would be permitted the Mokom Hefsemarubo, which is not a very easy situation, has to be a major loss. But for Ashkenazim, it would be permitted in all cases. But Bosnia felt that if you improve it, let's say by taking that potato and putting it in the chalun, or doing something else after the cooking was done, or in our lasagna case, presumably, taking that lasagna and making it into this delicious Michael that then that's considered mitztamek the yafelo, and the, it means that the cooking wasn't completed until you did that act. So he would be makel on this question of lasagna. Next, listen to this. Rabbi Belsky Zatzal disagreed. But listen how he disagreed. He held that any improvement to bread, even toasting a bagel, is enough to create it is. So you could buy, according to Rabbi Belsky, you could you could buy a bagel, a piece of bread in a bakery, a non-Jew baked the baking, or the packaged bread with OU or the, or the cup K on it, and Fryhoffers or something, and then you take that and you toast it, and that would make it pass Yisrael. That's what Rabbi Belsky held. However, regarding Bishul, it doesn't work. The Israel has to add to the cooking before it reaches Gemar Bishul. It can only is edible properly, fully edible. He has to get in there before that happens. Because once it's edible, with that's the halakha by Bishel, that it's traced. So that's how Rabbi Belsky passed him. And I assume that's what, what, the, what the OU holds about this lasagna, that they could follow me, let's say, Rabbi Belsky on that physical thing. But now let me go a little further. Rav Shachter was uncertain. Uh, one second. Okay. So now the question is, uh, so the bread, in other words, in bread, improving it, Rabbi Belsky was makel, but not, but not so. You could make it in a piece of Israel if you add something on. He gives another example of deep frying, making bagel chips. So there's a whole uh, bunch of discussion over here. I don't want to spend all my time on it today. I just wanted to get that one point across, and therefore we, we did, which we did, which is that, that lasagna, is obviously, is a machlekes, and presumably the Shevet Halevi would permit it. And Vybelsky, uh, that's all. Both of them, that's all. But the Vybelsky would would have not permitted it. Um, once it became edible, it would be too late. And the other rabbi, maybe going like the Shevet Halevi or his own sock or whatever it is. I hopefully you know he has got good sources, and I'm not even sure who it is. So I, you know, I can't comment on it. 
but anybody who wants to look into that, call that kavod. Let's go to something that I wanted to do last week. I never got to it. It's from uh, Rabbi Heshi Kahan. Halachic perspectives, eating at a wedding. Well, it's always good to eat at a wedding, right? So let's say you're just staying for the chuppah. Is there anything you have to know when you're, st when you're eating the smorgasbord? So obviously the main thing that everybody has to know is that if you're eating mizonos, and this is, it really separates, I don't want to say the men from the boys, <laughs> maybe, it's the, maybe it's the men from the men. It, if you're eating at a smorgasbord or a kiddush, and you're eating mizonos, whether it's a cracker, whether it's a piece of cake, or something nice and geschmack, whatever it is. That's the question that you have to look into. I'm not going to go through the whole story, but I'll read you along. If one were to make a mazonos and eat it together with other foods, which collectively would equal the amount of a regular meal for someone of that age group. In other words, everybody eats differently. A young kid eats this much, an old person eats that much, and middle-aged person eats that much. The average meal of an adolescent male is considered larger than an elderly female. I don't know, this, I can't figure this all out, but meaning that, you, you know, because old people supposedly eat less and young kids, whatever, everybody has the idea, then, then you have to say, even if you didn't wash and even if you didn't say hamosu. This is an important halacha, Rabbi Isaac. I suggest that everybody look into it, ask your own rabbi if you're not familiar with it, in Shulchan Aruch, in Kuf, Kuf Samaches, Sif Vov. Okay. So what foods are we talking about that create a problem? Crackers, flatbreads, breadsticks, cake, cookies, People have put the liver on the cookies and on the crackers. Of course you have to put it on the cracker. I understand. But the question is how many crackers you have. Uh, you know, if you haven't, if you don't, if you're not going to have a kazayas of, of uh, cake or crackers, there's no question. You don't have to bet. And you have to be at least at this, uh, 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 you know, it, it, the way it really reads in the sperm is that it should be equivalent to what you would have had had you had bread. So when a person eats bread with a meal, in the good old days you had three, four slices or whatever it is, or at least two big slices from the middle of the rye bread. But if a person eats one or two, certainly two slices of, of, uh, of a white bread or something equivalent in the crackers, that's, that's what you have with it. You, don't, you know, how much bread do we eat anymore? People consider it a meal. They watch and they come and bench on one piece of bread, two pieces of bread, how much we, we, do we really have? Maybe a kid in yeshiva, so maybe he has four slices. But the average adult is not eating that much bread anymore. And uh, one or two slices of bread, I mean, from even from uh, the, the white bread. And, and uh, I'm sure even uh, a nice slice of uh, rye bread, how much more do they have? And that's called a meal. You, you wash, you make a mochi, you think. So if a person had crackers, or some of the mizonos in them in that quantity, together with the rest of the food that they ate, that is considered to have a meal. Another one: Does one fulfill the obligation of simchas chosim bekala by merely eating, by merely attending the smorgasbord? I don't know what that means. I don't hope he meant. I hope he meant that at least he went to the at the chosim's table or whatever he walked. If the Gemara says that anybody who benefits from the suit of a chosan kala and doesn't make them happy is, uh, is transgressing the five koilos, the five sounds. And, and so the, ideally, it's you dance in front of the chosan and the kala. That's what the Gemara brings down. But in any way, and you have a gift, but in any way that you misameh them, it's appropriate. Uh, even that is not practical. As long as the chosan is happy, with the knowledge that this person came to my simcha is considered Now, I don't know if all of you have made weddings, but if you haven't, 
so I'll share with you a secret. And from my first wedding that we made, every person who comes and just shakes your hand and wishes you Mazel Tov is giving you a tremendous gift. And if the person making the simple thinks for two seconds and realizes that that person had to get dressed up and take a shower, get dressed up in clothes they not, weren't wearing before, which is going to take a good few minutes, this whole business, maybe much more than a few minutes. And there's a husband and wife, each one's waiting for the other one. And then you got to travel to the Simcha. And we'll, we'll be honest, you have to find parking or else you got to, you got to get, wait till that ballet guy comes. And, 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 and you, you, you put yourself out for an hour or two hours, or sometimes if you travel all the way to, to Lakewood, if you, if you put yourself out and you showed up, and I remember some of the hospitals we did when people came long distances. I was so enamored by that. I don't care if they stayed five minutes. I don't really care if they ran away. I don't, it doesn't bother me. It, 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 the fact that I know that that person showed up is major. And I think when you think into it, that's, that's what it is. So I don't care where he ended up. If he was enjoying the food at the smoker's board and just shook my hand for two seconds, it's good enough. It was good to go. And I, and I, and I appreciated it, and I remembered it, and it's still, I don't think I can still do it, but I remember remembering for a long time everybody who came to the city. So I, I tell you, don't worry about it. You are Mr. Meyer Should a person not eat while he's standing and talking? This is a big question. Many gedolim were mocked to eat and drink only when they're sitting. And uh, that's really um, definitely good. But there's nothing halakhically wrong with standing. However, the Shulchan Aruch does caution one not to talk while eating, as this could put him in a dangerous situation. I mean, I think the Kiddushes in America are standing Kiddushes. There are very few, a lot of Kiddushes are not sit-down Kiddushes, uh, where, they, where they serve you. The, they usually it's where you have to go around and get something, and, the, and you can't find a seat. And I'm, I'm, some of the shuls, they don't have even the seats at all. People are always standing. Now, there's the Shiloh from the, the brachas. If you made a bracha and you ate at the husband's fish, you need another bracha when you go to the main ballroom. The answer is no, because it's the same building. It is cheder to cheder, bit of this, and then one's upstairs and one's downstairs. But you have in mind, you know you're going to go from place A to place B. It's in the same house. And therefore, most people will tell you, you do not need a new bracha when you're going from one part of the, of the wedding hall to another. If you're going outside and inside, that's a different story. Is one required to see all the food being offered in order to include it in his bracha rishon? Well, that's a very important question. Especially when I'm going upstairs in a few minutes and coming downstairs. I didn't see all the food that I'm going to eat. So the, the halacha is that you have to have create a das. Your das, your thought, has to be to be inclusive. If you look at something and you think, I'm going to eat this now, and that's where your mind is, then there's a problem. If you just decide to eat something that I didn't see over there, or something I didn't plan to eat before that's over there, even though it's right nearby, it's not included. But if you're not specific in, your, in, in there, but you make a bracha with intent, to include everything that would be of that bracha, then it's included. And that's what you should do in your house, too. You should train yourself at least once to create what we call stam das, that whatever will come under the, under the rubric of that particular bracha, whatever would be included with that bracha, you have intent to eat, even though you may not eat it. In other words, all the shakos, all the hadamas, all the ha'etas. But if you have specific in, in, intent only to eat the thing right in front of you, then you are, do need, 
you do need to make new bra. If one leaves the smorgasbord room to go outside to make a phone call or to get some air, would he be required to make another bracha when we are coming back when we return? The answer is, in general, changing location requires a new bracha rishona, called shin and makom. But poiskim have different, uh, there are different opinions here. Um, they think if, it's, if you're able to see the place that you started eating in, let's say through a window or an open door, then that would mean that you didn't break with that original place. Or you're in the midst of eating mizonos, and we'll add on, maybe you had already enough to make a bracha corona. Uh, you leave some people in Makel if you just left for a few moments to do something that won't cause them to become distracted. A phone call would not fall into this category because people could be on a phone for five minutes or ten minutes, and their mind is out of it. And they, when they come back and they don't come back, there's a new decision they're going to make. But if you're just going for a second, and then it wouldn't be, it would, it, according to some people, it would not be an issue. However, um, I recommend that you train yourself not to do that. And that you really train yourself that when you leave a building, or you get into the car, or out of the car, or out of the house, into the house, and your own house, train yourself that that's the end. Whatever you ate in the house, you're not gonna, you're gonna need a new bracha when you go back. This way, it's like it's you, you're covered because it's called hesachada. Uh, if you, uh, at any moment, decide to stop eating, and then a minute later you say, "Well, I have this," no, you, you need a new bracha for that. But I, I didn't do anything, right? But you thought for one split second, I'm finished. That's enough. That's hesachada. So you have to be realize that, that when you go outside and you really were not even planting anymore, for sure. Oh, I didn't finish this? Oh, I, I'll finish it now. New bracha. Is one able to make a bracha rishona in front of all the people in the ballroom? Well, they're talking about maybe about sneas or something like that. Sneas is an issue. People have, if there's an issue with the sneas, you have to look down, you have to close your eyes, you have to be careful about it very, very difficult. Sometimes the Masada Kedushin has issues because of, because of the way people address it. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting world we live in. I see that most of our time is up. I had really a few more items to talk about, but we're going to have to save them for another time. Let me just uh, reiterate that we uh, the article that I, I alluded to about uh, that uh, place in 24-7 distro is included in a new book, a new magazine that's coming out in a, another few days. We're going to be going to press in the at the end of this week. So by next week or whatever, we'll hopefully have it back, although it won't be mailed for another few weeks. Um, if you're interested in getting that subs uh, subscription to Conscious Magazine or a, a sample issue, or if you're interested in the Kosher Travel Guide, which we have to 401 cities across the United States, and we're coming out now, I'll just give you a heads up, we're coming out with our addendum to the kosher supervision guide. Till now we had 4,217 hashkafas. I don't remember exactly now, but I think, the, I think it's 1,440-something, maybe 45 hashkafas. We got another 40, uh, 35 hashkafas we're adding on. So I didn't do the arithmetic in my head, but we, it's about, I think it's 140, maybe it's 1426. No, no, that's, uh, no, 1446, maybe. maybe that's the number. But we definitely have raised up the numbers, we raised the numbers up to another 35 uh, hashkafas that either we're listing in our magazine. And all the changes, we have uh, close to, and we have a bunch of changes in addition to the new ones that we added on. So altogether, it's quite a little booklet that's called the addendum. It goes along free with the magazine. And uh, every time somebody buys the kosher supervision guide, they get this also free because it's the update until the next one, the next kosher, travel, kosher supervision guide, 
which is printed next year. So if you're interested in anything to do with Kashrus, you can always give us a ring at 718-336-8544 or send us an email at Kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S at AOL.com. And until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, wishing you a wonderful week. Anywhere.